pastor congregation, but some of them, others, Satan. With me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, I will say a couple things about this in context. We're building up to this. First, if it's your first time here, first time in a long time, we've been seeing Christ through the gospel of Luke. And what we have been noticing as we've been going through this together is Jesus here, thank you, is unpacking. Well, that one's unstable, isn't it? There we go. Uh, Jesus has been telling us what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ. We have seen him. Disciples are people of prayer. Jesus said, my house is a house of what? It's a house of prayer, isn't it, church? That God's people are um, people who serve one another, right? We saw that in the Good Samaritan. But there is something that supersedes service in the Christian life, and that is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so hearing from Christ and feasting on Christ because the ear guides the hand in service. And so we should never neglect hearing the word for service, all right? So with that in mind, we'll now turn our attention here to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. Hear the word of God, church. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armored, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Amen. May God add blessing to the reading of his holy and inerrant and infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts this morning. It was about 17, 18 years ago. It doesn't feel that way, but it was. It was one of the first dates that I had taken Becky on. And for those of you that are very Baptist, e, we went on a creative movement session. For those of you who are non-Baptist, that means we went dancing, Right? We went dancing. We did took some dancing lessons, ballroom dancing. It was quite fun. And uh, it was January. It was Louisville, Kentucky. It was cold. And I said, hey, we were driving back. I said, let's, uh, we, there was a parking lot there and there was a, uh, we used to have a Perkins there. I think all the Perkins are like gone now. I used to love Perkins. But, and we just kind of danced down the parking lot behind Perkins there, just practiced what we had learned. And I said, wouldn't this be a great story to tell our grandchildren one day? This is only like second or third date. Because I had game back in the day, right? Back in the day. 
So I'll get that later. Anyway, uh, of course, it did work out. We don't have grandkids yet, but it will be a fun story. As the dates progressed, I started to tell her, you know, let me tell you how God's working. I'm called to be a pastor. I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'm going to be pastoring here. If I go back to the mountains, if I end up in California, I don't know where I'm going to be. Like, I could be literally anywhere. And so, you know, being a pastor's wife's hard. It's a hard job. My mentoring pastor's wife told me it's like living in a glass house. So, you know, if you stay with me, this is what you're signing up for. You just need to be aware on the front end that this, this is not going to be like an easy ride. This is going to be like, you know, it's going to be work. And you've got to be just about as called to this as I am. And she was like, man, I'm in, right? And, she, and she's been in ever since, praise God. She's still in, right? Even though she's not here today, she's with the sick kid, but she's in, okay? And my, what an asset she has been. Well, in a similar fashion here, Jesus is telling the disciples here there is a cost to following Christ, okay? There's a cost to following Christ. And here's what one of the costs to following Christ is. One of the costs to following Christ is this. You will experience opposition from the demonic okay now i'm not saying that to scare you i'm not saying that to make you feel weird or anything like that this is just a biblical truth and reality if you're going to pursue christ and you're going to pursue his work and his kingdom the those forces that oppose christ will oppose you this is the way it goes now the page out of satan's playbook is this what satan wants you to do is fixate on the cost of discipleship Demons will be coming up against me. Darkness will be coming up against me. And he wants you fixated on that fact. He wants you to, in fact, the playbook reads, get that Christian scared, right? I know in missional community, they're studying the screw tape letters where they're instructing their uh, demon, a senior demon on a younger demon, how to destroy a Christian. And that's one of the tactics, right? Get them scared of the cost of discipleship in Jesus Christ. Well, we're seeing that as one thing that's happening here in the text, but here's the other reality. And this is the one that Satan didn't want you to think about. Not only is there a cost to following Jesus, there is a cost to not follow Jesus. And this is the one Satan doesn't want you to think about, right? So let's, let's ponder on this and think about this for just a minute. The cost of not following Jesus. First of all here, there are two dangers here of rejecting Jesus. There are two ways people reject Christ. First one is this. It's found in verse 15. <clears throat> through missing the source of Jesus' power. Through missing the source of Jesus' power. Here are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. Some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub. Here he just delivered somebody from demonic oppression. And they're saying there's only one way it can be done. And that is he's doing it by the power of another demon. Um, first of all, this name actually means Lord of the Flies. Do you, do you all remember that book years ago? It was gruesome. That book was, and the movie was not much better. The movie might have been worse. I am not recommending the book and I am not recommending the movie. But this is where the title comes from. It's what this name literally means. Uh, let me say something here because this is kind of a weird subject in some ways in church. This, uh, this concept of demonic oppression and demonic possession. This, is, this text is really about demonic possession. I'm just going to be very upfront with you. I don't know a lot about demonic possession. Okay? And as one pastor said once, 
He didn't know a lot about demonic possession, so he found some people who claimed they knew about, a lot about demonic possession, and they wrote books about it, and he got those books and read them, and he said those people who claim to know a lot about demonic possession don't know a lot about demonic possession. <laughs> uh, I think there's a reason the Bible doesn't really give us a lot here. If you'll notice in the text today, do we have a record of what Jesus said to cast this demon out? Does it say in the text what Jesus muttered or said to release this demon out of this person's life? The answer is no. Why is that? Because Jesus don't want us to be fixed on these kind of things, right? There are other things to be fixated on, but he does want us to be aware of the truth and the reality of the unseen world that's all around us, okay? Does that make sense? Everybody with me there? You, you, you're not to be fixated on it, but you need to be aware that it is a truth and a reality. Now, a few things that we see happening here Usually, when people are dabbling in these kind of things, it takes a lot of different forms. One form that it would take is people would go see witches or medians, or they would go and see um, necromancers in the Old Testament, people who would commune with the dead. And if you have time this afternoon, I'm not going to give you a sermon about this, but read Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 warns Christians, God's people, don't fool with necromancers or medians or psychics, don't fool. What's that thing in the newspaper? It's really super easy. Is it astrology or whatever people, people frequently? That's really not for Christians, right? Like we, we have a word of truth, right? And, and this is the word of truth right here. We don't need supplements to this. This contains everything that we need for daily living. Uh, to turn from those things, I think, in, in many ways, shows a lack of faith in the revealed word of God and to stay away from those things, right? That's the general, there's a warning, and there's somewhat of an invitation for oppression, in my opinion. So just don't fool with it, right? But in the middle of all that, Deuteronomy 18, he points to the coming of a prophet, right? Because that's what all these people are after. This is why people kind of mess with demonic forces, is they want to know what's going to happen. They want prophecy. They want to know what the future is. Will I find true love, right? Those tarot card readers and all that. Will I find, will you do a reading for me? No, listen, I, I'm going to tell you something like, I believe some of that stuff's real and some of that stuff is powerful, but it's not powered by the Holy Spirit. So if it's not powered by the Holy Spirit, what's that leave? It leaves demonic forces that is there. We're, we're warned and we're to stay away from those things. Stay away from them. There's no good that will come from it. It's just like giving an invitation here uh, into your life for darkness to come into your life. Another thing that I see happening that blows me away that's kind of kind of crazy here people trying to sort of claim power that's not theirs i noticed in 2020 there was like this rash and stream of like people on social media pastors kind of like me who were having prophetic visions of what was going to happen in our nation and i i saw there was one pastor in particular in kentucky if you're more interested i'll talk to you about it he was making all kinds of predictions about what was going to happen he started making predictions in the spring about what was going to happen in september about how there would be, um, you know, no more currency, no more, no more money, and uh, that, that he saw the tops of banks were ripped off, and like money was just being sucked out of all the banks in the U.S., just kind of this weird sort of thing. Well, obviously September came, there's still money in the banks, 
That wasn't really necessarily true. And then so when that prophecy didn't come true, he had another vision of Christmas, what would happen at Christmas time. And in this vision of Christmas, the military is there. It's snowing. Nobody has electricity. Everybody's hunkered down in their houses, and they're scared, and the president's gone. That was his, like, prophecy and prediction of what would happen in December of 2020. And guess what? That didn't happen. I don't know about you. I had electricity for Christmas. I also had COVID, which was an unwelcome guest, but... We were all there together celebrating Christmas. We were nice and warm, and uh, there was snow. That part was right, I guess, but I didn't see any military presence at my house. Did anybody else have military presence at their house? Okay, so he missed the boat. And yet people still watch this guy. People still love this guy, and they follow this guy. It blows my mind how people can follow somebody like that, uh, you know, that has been proven wrong. And what's Deuteronomy 18 remind us of? You know, we're to, we're to test spirits. And how, what's the test? The test is this. They've got to be 100% accurate 100% of the time. They can't get most of a prophecy right and one part wrong. They can't, get, uh, any, they can't be inconsistent one time. If they say it's going to come to pass, it must come to pass. Who is that looking forward to in Deuteronomy 18? That's looking forward to Jesus Christ. So the power, the source of his power is obviously Christ. The second thing here, the second rejection of Jesus is the, sign, the significance of his power. The significance of his power. You know, this generation is kind of wicked and uh, they, they want sign after sign after sign, right? As though they've been asking for you. If I just had a sign, then I would believe. And the longer that I'm in ministry, the longer that I'm convinced, it's not signs that people need. It's the Holy Spirit that people need more than anything. Um, you know, I want you to, to kind of look at this text today. and I want you to see some things that Jesus is going to do to confront these two rejections. It's kind of three things here he's going to give us. First of all, he's going to make an appeal and answer this with logic. Uh, one of the things we see in this verse here, I think it's down to verse 20. It, he makes an appeal to the finger of God. No, it's not 20, is it? Let me find it real quick. Uh, he hears what they're saying. He knows what's going on in their minds. And he says here, verse 19, sorry. Uh, yeah, and if I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast out? So he questions that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but if I can cast out demons by the, look what verse 20 says, by the finger of God. Now this caught my attention when I was preparing for this. Because this is not really a phrase that we see a lot in scripture. It's only appeared a few times. Let me give you the few times that it's appeared. First time we've seen this phrase, finger of God, is in the Old Testament Whenever the Jews are trying to leave Egypt, leave Egypt, and when they're leaving, if you'll remember, Moses went in with a powerful uh, message. He was empowered by the Lord. He, he's able to perform different kind of miracles. And then there are those two pagan priests who are able to do magic and to copy what Moses is doing. And they're able to do the snake thing. They're able to do all these different things Moses can do. But then there's, they get to one point they can't do it anymore, and that's called the, the plague of the gnats, right? When Moses is able to make the gnats appear or the flies appear. And those priests, those pagan priests, turn to the Pharaoh and they say, this was done by the finger of God. We can't do this one. This is one we can't reproduce. Only the finger of God can have power like this. The other two places that we see this are actually on the mountaintop with Moses. As Moses is receiving the law of God, the Bible tells us that in Exodus chapter 20, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, those are the other two, so it's really kind of pointing to the same event, that it is the finger of God that writes the law for Moses, right? It's the finger of God. 
So the, the finger of God is able to do a few things, right? What's the finger of God able to do? The finger of God is able to, um, it is able to produce miracles that no one else can produce. And it is able to give the law. Do you see that this morning? So this reference to that, that should stick out in your mind. You know, if you're a, if you're a note taker or whatever, make that note, right? This is the source of his power. And there's another thing here, the logic of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, would Satan work against Satan? You know, Satan has you in his grips. Why would he do anything to jeopardize his grip being slipped off of you, right? You, you are either in his kingdom or you're in God's kingdom. And then there's this kind of a, it's kind of a weird parable thing here, right, that we have here. It's, it's not usual where he talks here about the strong man and the plunder, Right? Uh, what is this about here? Uh, well, in this parable, the strong man who is meddled up, same kind of language here that we see, is, represents Satan. Satan is the strong man. He is the one who has a kingdom. He is guarding it against uh, any who would try to take the plunder that he has. Right? This is why you come up against demonic forces when you try to reach those who are far from God and are not walking with him. And the Bible also tells us what? That Jesus, I can remember saying, those the Father have placed in my hand are there, and who can remove them? No one can, right? Here's a truth that's emerging from this text. You're either in the grip of Satan in this life, or you're in the grip of Christ. There's nowhere in between. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Question is, which one are you in? All right, another thing we see here. He, He does a comparison. He points out here, not only is he casting out these demons, but he says here, who do your sons cast out demons by, right? Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he, he's asking them, what power are the people, apparently this is a common practice in the, in the Jewish culture of the day, there were people who would speak some kind of utterances and chantings that, to try to do demonic uh, liberation. And let me just ask you this question. Is it ever been God, Christ's nature to increase suffering in this ministry on earth? Like, is he, like when he finds a blind man, is it ever his in, intention to make him deaf as well? <laughs> what is he always doing? He's lifting their eyes so that they can see. Or if they're a mute here, is it his, is it his description to make him bedridden? No, he's lifting the mute so that he can speak. He, he is lighting human suffering in his ministry here. And we're seeing that as a sort of a a flesh and blood image of the kingdom that is to come. Jesus is relieving the suffering of humanity, uh, not increasing it. And so him asking here in this comparison, say, whose power are they doing this by, right? Well, then the logical thing next is going to be what? If I am working with the power of the finger of God, if my exorcisms are more effective because how many exorcisms did Jesus go into and he failed at? Can you name me any? I can't think of a one in any of the Bible that he set out to do an exorcism was not able to remove them, right? There is no stronger demon who is, there's no demon stronger than who Jesus Christ is. He's able to liberate from all, including Satan himself. So when we look at this and we think about this, what does this mean? Well, it says here, um, he makes this other reference in this comparison, talking about those who will judge in this passage. 
All right, look at verse 19 there, the last part there. By whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. This could be a reference to those. Jesus had already sent out the 70. He'd already sent out the 12. Uh, You ever seen people with the statement either on their lips or written and tattooed on their arms or somewhere it says, only God can judge me? And I think people like to say that because they want to live life how they want to live it. And they think the only person who will judge them at the end of life is, is God. But actually... Scripture reads a little different, right? Uh, it's not just God who gets the, a crack at judgment at the end. According to Matthew chapter 12, the men of Nineveh will rise up and will judge at the end of time. Those who receive that message of repentance under the ministry of Jonah, they will be judges over those at the end of time. Uh, it also makes a reference to uh, Sheba, Queen Sheba, who is also given an authority to judge at the end of time. The Bible even alludes to the fact that we as believers in Christ will judge angels at the final judgment, which blows my mind, you know, and I'm sure that's going to be a unique thing, right? I mean, can you imagine when Satan is drugged before the believers of the church whom he has persecuted and been oppressive of the whole time? I think in a lot of ways we're going to look at him because we'll be glorified and with God and we'll say that was him. He was the one who deceived so many, right? Uh, so there's a challenge that is there, right? There is a, there's a comparison that is there, and there's a challenge that is here, right? The challenge is this. So Jesus is saying, you know, if those who are casting out demons, I'll be your judge, they'll be your judge. If I'm doing this by the finger of God, then it stands to reason this, that I alone am accomplishing the kingdom of God, Right? That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. It must be me who is accomplishing in this. The, I am the only one that can bind the strong man and can take what he, has, what he has in his possession. I am the one, same word that's used in Ephesians, that talks about, um, talks about putting on the armor of God. He is armed to the kilt, ready to battle for his palace and all that he has. And the Lord will go in and... He will take the plunder. And what is the plunder in this illustration? The plunder is all of those who are in the grip of Satan. All of those who are, who are in the kingdom of darkness. Because there's only two kingdoms, right? Kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And here's what Jesus is saying. You've got to choose a side. This is the challenge here. Satan's grip or Jesus' grip, kingdom of God. For the kingdom of Satan, there is no other choice. And if you try to remain neutral, there's no Switzerland in this equation. You remain in the kingdom of darkness. That's the reality here of what he's saying. So my only hope is that Jesus would come to my rescue. That he would come and he would pry loose out of my life and out of my mind and out of my heart. The grip that Satan has so deeply taken of my desires and of my thinking. And there's a warning here, right? Look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and not finding any. Waterless places, what's that sound like, right? Sounds like hell, doesn't it? I don't know exactly if that's what he means, if it's able to somehow go from hell and torment to back out. I'm just going to kind of... This is kind of a hard area here, but I'm going to give you a few little things that I've picked up in Scripture in trying to understand these matters. One thing I understand is this, spirits long to be clothed. The Bible tells us that in Corinthians, that uh, uh, 
those saints who have died and the soul has been removed from the body, that there is a longing that all of those saints have in heaven to be clothed in a body again. And it's a similar thing here. Once a demon, I think, has possessed a human body and has possessed a person uh, that is in the kingdom of darkness, because I don't believe it's possible for him to take one who belongs to the Lord. Remember what the parable of the strong man is? That, that demon would have to be stronger than Christ and the Holy Spirit, and that's just not possible. He's able to bound the strong man. But it's possible here to be kind of eradicated and to be morally have a revolution. You know, a lot of people are not necessarily interested in becoming saved. They're just wanting rid of a particular ailment or a particular aggravation in their life. Whether that is some kind of an addiction, whether that is some kind of sinful pattern, whatever it is that's causing the ministry, misery, they just want to come to Jesus and they just want kind of the alleviation of the demon, but they don't necessarily want Christ with that. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That there's a big difference here. And this is the warning that's here, right? The unclean spirit here goes to waterless places, he, but yet he comes back to his home. He longs to be clothed again, just like he's alluded to in Paul's writing. He longs to have that body again. He comes back and he sees the house as clean and in order. There's a word that jumped out to me uh, when I was looking at this. is cosmos. Does that sound like any word you know in English, cosmos? Like, the, the, remember Carl Sagan years ago? The cosmos, right? What is, what is the cosmos? Well, the Greeks looked up in the sky and they saw an order to the heavens. They saw order to the stars. They saw order to what was up there. So that, that's the word that it means. It means to be ordered, right? Uh, is there any other words you know in English that sound kind of like that? How about cosmetics? Oh, that's right. Did you know billions of dollars were spent in the U.S. last year for ladies to buy cosmetics? to put on their face, to order their face in the way that they see best fit. And might I say, that's not nearly enough money spent, right? I'm not, a, I'm not one of those preachers that's anti-makeup. Ladies, you want to buy makeup, put on makeup? You go ahead and put on makeup, right? That's not a problem with me. Some preachers preach against that. I think that's kind of in vain, right? If you wanted to cut hair, you would have to go to a cosmetology school, right? So they're ordering hair, right? Putting hair in order. And uh, so you can see here, this is what this is, what's happening in this passage. This passage is calling for Jesus is just putting this heart and this mind in order. It's at rest. There's, there's not a lot of activity that's going on internally. The inner man, the inner woman is clean. There's nothing that is in there. We don't just need to be rid of sin and bad, bad habits and sinful patterns and, you know, whatever that may be for you, we also need to be filled with the Spirit. Because if we're not, what happens? He comes back, but he comes back and brings seven of his ugly buddies, right? I like what a, a preacher of yesterday said about this problem. J.C. Riley said this, How dangerous it is to be content with any change in religion short of thorough conversion to God. This is a truth which our Lord teaches by a dreadful picture of one from whom a devil has been cast forth, but into whose heart the Holy Spirit has not entered. He describes the evil spirit after his expulsion, seeking rest and finding none, and then planning a return to the heart which he once inhabited and carrying his plan into uh, execution and finding that empty emptiness of any good and like a good house swept and garnished ready for his recipient. 
And he describes him entering once more with seven worse than himself. And he winds up all with a a solemn saying, the last state of this man is worse than the first. Now look here, pay attention right here what he says. Riley goes on to say, we must feel in reading these fearful words that Jesus is speaking of things which we faintly comprehend. He is lifting a corner of the veil which hangs over the unseen world. His words no doubt illustrate things which existed in the Jewish nation during his own time of ministry. But the main lesson of his words concern us. It is the danger of our own individual souls. There is a solemn warning to us here, never to be satisfied with religion, reformation, without heart conversion. And that's what's happening in this passage, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, there is no safety except in conversion. In in through Christianity to lay aside Uh, Open sin is nothing unless grace reigns in the heart. To cease to be evil is a small matter. If we do not also learn to do well, uh, the house must not be swept and whitewashed. A new tenant must be introduced or else the leprosy may again appear on its walls. We must not just be concerned with the outward life, but must garnish, garnish with the formal trappings of religion. The power of vital religion must be experienced in the inner man. The devil must not only be cast out, the Holy Holy Spirit must take his place. Christ must dwell in our hearts by faith. We must not only be moralized, but spiritualized. And that's, that's the warning here, right? What about you today? Where are you? Are you in the grip of Satan? Are you continually sweeping and cleaning up only to have more and more come back in? You know, if you were to go to my office, it's very messy. I'm just being honest. It's very messy. It's papers are everywhere. Books are everywhere. I'm pulling things out because in church life, you got two things. You got chaos and control, right? Two things that always happen inside of a church. Here's the reality. If you've got too much chaos in a church, the cogwheels fly off and things explode. But if you've got too much control, something else happens, right? I can take you to a place where there's a lot of control. Nobody gets out of line. Everybody's real quiet. And that's a cemetery. A lot of control in a cemetery. Everybody stays exactly where they were put. But guess what? A cemetery is completely void of all life. Why not let the Holy Spirit in? Why not let him in? Let him mess up your room a little bit. Let him change your heart and your desires to things you never thought you would desire. Let him take you on adventures you never thought you would take. And let him help you to adore the only hope that you can have today. And that is to be in the grip of Jesus Christ. That's the invitation that's here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word here today. Lord, we we don't want lives that are just cleanly swept up. We don't want lives that are just voiding evil or lives that neither do what they should nor what they shouldn't, but do nothing. Lord, we want lives full of life. Lives who are not just cleanly cleanly swept and ready for the next round, but Lord, a life life that is honoring to you. Help us to to do this, 
Help us to accomplish this. Help us to relish in this. And the only hope that we have, and that is Jesus Christ, the one true prophet, the one sure prophet, the one who gave his life as a ransom for many, the one who subdued the strong man that took so much of our lives, has plundered so many lives, and who sets those captives free. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you're here today, maybe, maybe you're... Maybe, maybe you've been faking this thing for a long time. Maybe you, Jesus has been just enough to clean up your heart, but it's never really been a heart that's been transformed and given to him. Not a heart transformed by grace. The invitation this morning is to come to him, be transformed by this grace. Or maybe you're here today and you, you want deliverance. You've had some oppression. I'd be happy to pray with you while we sing in response to this. Please stay in while we sing. I'll be in the back to receive you.